we're supposed to be in community and you know really K group has been a big part of our lives. It gives you an opportunity to get to know other people that you wouldn't um, spend a whole lot of time with uh, otherwise. There's something about that small group setting and just the open discussion on just a variety of topics that I think draws you in and it's all about relationships. We're supposed to be accountable uh, not only to God but to others. And We're getting to talk about God's Word. Being able to do uh, church in the home so to speak. On um, news site a funny kind of funny story of some people in Denver who were following their GPS to avoid an accident on the way to an airport. And while they were following their directions, um, they began to just kind of follow one another and everybody thought everybody knew where they were going. And they ultimately just ended up all together out in a huge cornfield uh, or a field, uh, just a field, and, and they all got stuck in the mud. Anybody else see this in the, in the news? And I, and I thought it was funny because how that we kind of blindly follow the GPS you know, just whatever it tells us to do, we do it, you know, no matter what it says, and, and that can get us in trouble, and it's kind of, you know, we love that step-by-step -step directions, I know I do, it's a lifesaver, I wish I would have had that when I lived in Dallas, big city, trying to navigate my way around, but the thing, when we come to the will of God, and that's such a interesting thing, the will of God, and people struggle with this concept of the will of God, because they want pretty much step-by-step -step directions on God's will, what God, should I go here, A or B, should I have this or that? Should I marry that person or this person? And, and we, we come to the, it's make these decisions, and we want God just to give us the step-by-step -step directions and just tell us exactly what to do. And it, we wish it was that easy. But here's the thing is, most of the time, Christians, the guidance that we end up following in thinking that we're following God's will are things like, you know, clues, very mystical hints, you know, or, oh, that was, you know, that, that little thing happened over there. That's God giving me a sign to tell me that, that, you know, I should go X or Y. Or we base it on feelings, you know. I just feel this is the right thing to do or that's the right thing to do. And we, and we based a, a lot of following God's will based on these mystical things. And we think these things are going to give us these step-by-step -step directions to get where we're going. But I'm not trying to stop you from seeking God for sure. We need to seek God. We need to diligently, and Scripture tells us, to pray to him and ask him for his will and for wisdom, but I'm afraid that we sometimes seek in the wrong places. Rather than resting within the clear limits of what God has made known to us through his word, we search these foggy, um, you know, unrevealed secret plans of God's, and we, and we want to know exactly, God, where, where is this going to end up? And most of the time where it does end up is very similar to here. We end up very lost, very confused, very much scratching our head saying, but God, I, th I thought that was you that was speaking or I thought that was you that, that showed me that flower growing in the pavement, you know? And, and I followed that, and look, it's not really provided me what I thought it would. And I'm afraid many Christians, we base our life upon that. And here's the thing, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, an amazing description on the will of God and understanding the will of God and following the will of God. And the truth is, it's, it's very, pretty much simplistic. It really is. It, there's nothing profound here. But the thing is, we need to understand that there is a side of the will of God that no matter how much scripture we know, no matter how wise we are, and no matter how many times we sit in church, we just won't know because we're not sovereign. God's sovereign. And there's a lot from scripture we can know, but there's a lot that we won't know. And unfortunately, we as humans want to know all the stuff, right? We want to know exactly where it's leading. 
So as we look in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 6 again today, we're going to just cover 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll get to the end of the section, maybe go all the way through the end of the chapter next week. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through the first part of 6. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Let's pray and we'll look into these, these scriptures. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's endured the test of time. It's endured the test of many people trying to destroy, trying to uh, prohibit us from knowing it, from reading it, from having a copy of your word, God. And thank you that you have um, preserved your word, that you have not only given it to us to have access each week, but God, you've given it to us so we can access it day in and day out. And God, I pray um, really that, that, that for the Christian here who the problem is not having access, the problem is their willingness to follow and, and to, to learn, to study, and to make it a priority, God. And I pray that you'll awake us to your purposes, to your causes in this world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to just kind of recap, and I'm going to spend a minute here recapping because I think it's critical because one and two obviously go together here in what Paul is giving us. But we said last week that we are recipients of God's amazing grace. We're recipients of God's amazing grace. And that's critical to know in all of life, and it's critical to know when I'm wanting to know God's will. What, what do you want from us, God? What, do you, what are your desires for us, God? And Reed's going to help me illustrate here um, really... The, the whole gospel, the whole narrative of Scripture in four acts. And I want you to kind of, I'm just going to lay it out for you and then t- tie it into Romans because chapters 1 through 11, as I said last week, all lead up to the application section that we're working with today, which is chapter 12. And so we have to understand 1 through 11 if we're going to jump in and start applying chapter 12. And so I want you to think for a second about God's creation. What did God say back in Genesis? He said that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he said everything was good he made life good he made everything pleasing to him and I want you to think about how that Adam and Eve were in the garden I want you to think about their lives as being a song that they played to God because scripture tells us that they walked with God in the garden they walked with him there was no pain no suffering no sickness no death it was complete love and intimacy between God and his prized creation which was human beings made in his image So human beings were hardwired by God to live in an awe of him. And that's just another word for a worship of him. We were hardwired to worship God, to respond to God's greatness, his worth, through our just giving him worth and value and, and not just saying it, but living it. 
And so I want you to listen to Reed as, as he plays for a second and think about your life and think about as God created us to reflect his image, think of it in terms of a song and think of his term as an expression of worship to God. the first act was creation. The second act was the fall because of sin. Sin came and man's relationship with God was severed. It was cut off. It was extinguished. And the song could play no more because of sin, because of the fall. And so sin came in the world. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, but sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so that death spread to all men because all have sinned. So Adam and Eve, their sin was like a virus to the human race. It was like a virus to all of creation, to the hearts of humans, to the creation that God made. And all of a sudden, this innocence that Adam and Eve had, this ability to commune with God, to, to know God in an intimate and real manner, that was over. That was done. Their innocence was lost. Their ability to connect to a righteous God was lost. Romans chapter 1, if you get a chance to go back and read this today, we don't have time to walk through 11 chapters of Romans, but they're all amazing. In chapter 1, it says that this sin, this, this virus that was passed on to all of us, that it says even though men know God, we can look and we can see that there is a God, we can play no song to him, we can have no relationship with him because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says. And so Romans 1 says we suppress the truth. Why do we suppress the truth? Why do we suppress the truth? Because of this. We want to be in charge. We want it to be our way. We want life to be on our terms. And that's essentially what Adam and Eve did. They said, we don't need you, God. We want to do things our way. We want to be like you. We want to be like you. We want to be the one in control. We want to be the one in charge. And so sin came, and the fall of man came, and we've all sin and we've all belittled the glory of God so it severed our ability to know and have an intimacy with God our creator and so no longer can a song be played no longer can a, can a song be given to God what we were created for to reflect his image to sing that worship to God to praise God with our lives a living sacrifice that is no longer capable and possible in our sin well act three is the rescue the rescue Jesus Chapter 5 of Romans, chapter verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. That means being made right with God and life for all men. For as by the one man disobedience, that's Adam, disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, who is that? That's the second Adam, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. And if you were here last week, you know I talked about that essentially Romans is a book about righteousness. It's about God's perfect, holy righteousness and our inability to have an intimacy with Creator God because of our lack of righteousness. And there comes the rescue of Jesus. Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin. And because of Him 
becoming the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Romans 8, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so all of a sudden, the rescue came. We have a chance to reconnect with our Father, to to live in awe, to worship Him as we were created to do. And verse 4 of chapter 8 says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, all the unable to measure up, all the inability to live this life as a song, that can be restored in Jesus. And so that's the fourth act, is the restoration. That now Christ is making all things new, Scripture says. He's restoring all things. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Already, already but not yet. Meaning that Christ has come. Life has been given. Hope has been given. We have the righteousness of Christ, but we won't fully realize it until eternity. And so the song that we play on this earth, the reflection of God, isn't perfect. It isn't exact. It doesn't always get, we don't get it right. There's pain there are struggles. I think about even Reed here playing the keyboard. If you know Reed's story, Reed lost a thumb a little over a year ago. And I think it's just so indicative of just the way that we sing our song to God. We come broken. We don't look and say, I wish I had it together like they did, and then I could worship. All of us struggle. We all hurt. We all live this life and we want to give God, if we're believers, if the Holy Spirit is in us, we want to give him his wor- the worship he deserves. We, f- we want to live in awe of him, but it's imperfect. It's incomplete. But that's not an excuse not to respond. It's not an excuse not to play our lives as a song to God. And so Romans, creation, the fall, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ came, and now he's restoring all things. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of Romans. Thank you, Reed. Give him a hand. And by the way, Reed told me that I could mention his thumb, and he he told me, he said, I want to use this as a way to glorify God through a very huge tragedy in his life. But he didn't stop him from playing the keyboard so beautifully, and that's the way that it should be with your life. No matter what's happened in your life, no matter what's gone on in the past, it's no excuse not to bring your life as a sacrifice of worship to God, a living sacrifice, this passage says. And so we're our sanctification. What is sanctification? We talk about that word a lot. It's becoming more like Christ. Our sanctification flows out of the gospel. It flows out of understanding the mercies of God. It flows out of, out of his, his grace poured upon us. And I'll talk more specifically about that in a minute, but it really means uh, uh, we're able through Jesus to know God, to have a relationship with God, a real relationship. I'm reading a book by Paul Miller. It's called A Praying Life. And this is a quote that he wrote in the book, and I thought it was so good. It says, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on prayer, not on God. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like driving, trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. Prayer is not the center of this book, this book he's writing. Getting to know a person, God, is the center. 
And so we get to know who God is. We respond to his greatness. We see him more clearly as we delve into his word, as he reveals his promises to us, as the Holy Spirit takes and makes the word alive. We, all of a sudden, we see God for his greatness. We see him for his mercy. We see him that we don't deserve anything. And I'll get back to that thought in a minute. The second thing we looked at last week is that you and I, we're part of something bigger than us. We're part of what Paul referred to as the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And you remember last week we put that head and body and we said, does it match? Does it match? Verse 5, so then, so we though being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so God didn't just put us here on this earth and say, okay, glorify me, live in all of me. But he gave us one another. He gave us the church, his body, to help us, to encourage us, to spur each other on, Hebrews says, for this purpose of reflecting the image of God and showing God. And I would like to say, you know, sometimes when we go through Scripture and we talk and there's a lot of things that we look at and we say, you know, we, I really do fall short, way short, which is a good thing, right? We, we know we fall short. But it's not a desperation that leaves us there and says, oh, woe is me. But it makes us run to God and we glorify him in those moments and those times where his grace shines through. And one of those moments was, was given to me, was told me through text message and then by Lindsay Jarrett and then reiterated by her husband, Michael, when I was talking to him the other day. And Lindsay wrote me this and she said, my mom, and her, her mom passed away a little over a year ago, she said, my mom used to say that she wished she could come to Grace, because she lived in Mariana, Florida, an hour away, she wishes she could come to Grace because the people of the church were different. They loved other people and actually cared. And she said, Grace Church helped my mom to see that not all churches are hypocrites and Pharisees. That's encouraging. That's really encouraging in some way, shape, or form, our church, you, the body of Christ, is reflecting the head the way that we should and showing him to be who he is. And so as we get into verse 2, this is going to be the kind of the big idea of verse 2. You and I have been called to live for God's will. You and I have been called to live for God's will. Not our own will, not what we want, not God's will is just a few big decisions we make in life, all right, where will I go to college? Where, who will I get married to? How many children should I have? Should I live in this town or that town? That's, that's the concept of God's will that we have in our mind. Let's break out of that for a second. Not these few big decisions, but a life of worship to God. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Let's walk through this verse. Verse 2, the beginning, it says, do not be conformed to this world. The imagery there is something that's outwardly not conforming to what's on the inside. Something outside, external, that doesn't represent what's on the inside. Think about that. Think about you as a believer. If you're sitting here and you affirm Jesus as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a true believer, and what's on the outside should more and more reflect what's on the inside of your life. And it's called progressive sanctification, growing more and more, a little by a little, more and more to be more like Jesus. 
It's a good sign you're here today. It's a sign that most likely you want to become more like Jesus. But you know, just wanting something is not necessarily the answer. There's more to it we'll talk about today. And so this idea of conform conveys something that's unstable and changing. And that's the way the world operates, doesn't it? Think about it. Because he's saying don't conform to the world. The world's constantly changing. And what is valued today in two decades won't be valued anymore. The things that are so important today, tomorrow they'll be gone. Fads change. The spirit of the age changes over the decades and over the generations. And so he's saying, don't try to conform to the world's value system like a chameleon who's constantly changing and adapting to become like its surrounding. But he's saying, you're to be, not to be conformed, but be transformed. Stop taking an outward expression that doesn't come from who you are inside. That's not representative of who you really are. But here's the thing. We think about not conforming as, as pretty much just a negative thing, but it's not just a negative thing. It's also a positive one. It's not just quitting the things that are wrong. It's starting doing, start doing the things that the world doesn't understand, the world doesn't comprehend. And so, so much of Christianity, especially the, the kind of Christianity I grew up in, was very much a don't-do Christianity. All right? And it had a list of things. You don't do this, don't do this, don't wear that, don't go here. And it was all a negative list. And I was telling my kids the other night, I, I don't remember ever hearing a message on the fruit of the Spirit. I don't ever remember hearing how I should live my life. I'm sure there were some, but those weren't the ones that impacted me. The, the list of don't, 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 don't. And most people think of Christianity like, I don't want any of that because it's a, it's a bunch of don'ts. And there are plenty of don'ts in Scripture, to be honest with you, but the truth is that, that, that becoming like Christ and not conforming to the world has a lot of do's there as well. Things like loving your enemy. There's something that will separate you from the world real quick, right? It'll separate you from the culture, the spirit of the age. When you love your enemy, Jesus said to do, forgive when you've been unjustly wronged, when somebody takes advantage of you, when they've hurt you, when they've manipulated the situation, when they've not treated you the way that you think you deserve to be treated. Instead of returning evil for their evil, you not only just... Don't take a neutral position, but you return good for their evil. You show kindness to those who don't deserve it. You forgive. Those are crazy, crazy things to do for somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside them. It's hard enough for us if we do have the Holy Spirit. And it's a journey. It's a lifelong pursuit to be more like Christ. But little by little... Jesus' character comes out, it should, it should come out of us more and more as we surround ourselves with the body of Christ, as we get into the word, as we allow prayer to change us. We become more of what Jesus was. And we live these actions because why? We're a living sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? It says, I don't matter. It's not about me. It's about you, God. I'm a living sacrifice. Then he goes on to say, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to think less about us and less like this fallen world and begin to think more and more like Jesus. How did Jesus act? What did Jesus think? think? What did he do? And so our outward expression 
and our inward self become more the same. And I think in our, even in our vein of Christianity, sometimes I think we put too much emphasis on just depositing information to people. We think that if I just take here some information to you and I just give it to you, and, and it's in your mind then, all of a sudden that change starts to happen. But it's so much more than just an information dump. I, I think of verses like Colossians 3.16, which we looked at not too long ago as we walked through Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ just dwell inside you. It's not just an information dump, but it, it's something that actually marinades on us and it changes our very thinking. Something that's different about our outlook in life. Because of Jesus and his word just soaking in to us. And that's different than just getting new information and grabbing hold of new ideas or even a new world view, a, way, a new way of thinking. But it doesn't transfer. It's kind of like what needs to happen. I think, think, about, think about something like your health, real practical like your health, all right? Most of you know that the natural default is to eat more and gain weight, Right? And so you decide one day, I just don't like it. I, I'm going to lose weight. I'm, gonna, I'm going to be healthier. But you never change what's in your pantry, right? The same stuff is in there, and you open it up, and there's all the unhealthy snacks that you have. And, and, and you think, well, I, I want to lose weight. I want to be healthy. But you see, if you don't practically rearrange your life because of the truth that you have, knowing that it's better to be healthy, it's better to be lighter, it's better to exercise. If you don't rearrange your lifestyle, then probably not a lot's going to change. But some way we think in our faith that it's just a matter of just learning new information. Ephesians 4.23, he says, and to be, Paul writes, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. John Stott, commentator, says this is a, a daily, indeed a continuous inward renewal of our outlook. I like that. It's a renewal of our outlook. In another book that I'm reading right now, it's called You Are What You Love. Let me read this statement. I, I thought this was so good. It says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. His teaching doesn't just touch the calm, cool, collected space of reflection and contemplation. He's a teacher who invades the heated, passionate regions of our hearts. Wouldn't we all agree that there is a huge gap between knowing that change is needed and accomplishing that change, right? We would all say that. We can know the change, but the change never happened because we're unwilling to really let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We're unwilling to rearrange the pantry, so to speak, so that we're living life as a living sacrifice in a whole new way. So renewing your mind isn't just thinking your way to holiness. It, it won't work. Knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is critical, but it's not enough. Renewal of your mind is a Holy Spirit-driven process. It's a spirit-driven process. How do I know that? This word renewal in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is only found one other place in the Greek New Testament, and that's in Titus 3, 5. 
where Paul writes, God saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to, here it is again, his mercy by the washing of regeneration, and here's the word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God saved us not because of our works, not because of anything we contributed, but because of his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, the washing renewal of the Holy Spirit within us. And you see, it's a supernatural project. It really is. It's a supernatural thing. And it goes beyond just wanting it or even depositing it. It, it, It's something completely different, and it's all grace. It's all mercy. It's all God. And so when, when the Holy Spirit begins to allow that grace and that mercy to just grab you, not just your mind, but your heart, everything about you, it says, there's so much more to live for than me. There's so much more to get out of life than just what I want or what I need to accomplish or just making it to get by day by day. God has so much more. We, we rearrange our lives. We start to really understand the authority of Scripture. That's what Jesus, he, he, he knew the Scriptures had authority. What did he do when he confronted Satan and Satan tried to tempt him? He spoke Scripture. He knew Scripture. He spoke Scripture. Why? Because as an example for us. You see that he understood that Scripture had authority. And the word recalibrates our affections. It recalibrates our affections. So the question is, like I could ask, do you know that to be true? And you say, uh, yes, I know that to be true. But does your life authenticate that to be true based upon what you do with the word Monday through Saturday? Or is it just something that is a good idea? You see this idea of transformation, this being transformed by the renewal of our mind. This is like a metamorphosis. It's a, it's a, it's a change that happens. And that change happens through the Holy Spirit taking the word, taking our affections, taking our devotions, taking our pantry, so to speak, and rearranging our lives. So the word recalibrates our affections. And we see Jesus' example of prayer. What did Jesus do? He pulled away from the crowds. We've seen it over and over again in Mark. Pulls away from the crowds. He gets alone with his Father, and he prays. Again, an example for us. In his humanity, he set an example for us. I can only do what I see the Father doing. And let's be real for a second, all right? Prayer is so hard, all right? It's so, I mean, it's easy to pray when you need something, right? It's easy to pray, God, help this to work out, or heal that person, or fix this situation, or make my marriage better. But when it comes to just uh, just that continuous, ongoing conversation with God, where we just want to meet with our Father, we want to know Him, we want to go back to the way that God originally designed and created us, to know Him and have a relationship, to be drawn near to God, as Peter says, that, that we're, we're close to, drawn close to God. Those moments are hard, aren't they? We sit there and our mind bounces around to a million things. And we try to pray and pretty soon we find ourselves 10 years back thinking about a scenario that has so unrelated to the prayer we were just praying. 
or we, we was called, you know, I'm, I'm, I read the word now, I'm a doer. I like to do, I'm out the door. I'll pray as I go, right? I'll pray as I go. Jesus could have prayed as he went. He was God. But Jesus didn't pray as he went only. He got alone with his father. He wanted to cultivate that relationship with his father. And then when I, I mention a lot how to just change the pantry, is just to preach the gospel to yourself over and over again during the day. As situations and things happen, just you have this gospel-driven humility where you just, you, God, thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for your grace. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's got to be you. One thing that I, I like to do is I, I start my morning off with a devotion book called New Morning Mercies, and some of you in here, a bit, I've given you that book or at least told you about that book. And New Morning Mercies is a very gospel-centered devotion book that constantly reminds me day after day, it reminds me that I need God's grace, that I need his mercy. It reminds me that the beginning of my prayer list needs to be, God, I'm a desperate man in need of you today. Is that at the top of your prayer Honestly, all right. Is that at the top of your prayer list? I'm a desperate man in need of you today. I'm a desperate woman in need of you today. You see, that's, as you grow more into those type of prayers, you're understanding more and more of the grace of God. That I don't measure up. It's nothing I bring to the table. All my efforts, even if I'm a gifted person, it won't accomplish anything for kingdom, for God's glory today, apart from God shining his grace and mercy into the situation. So there's a mindset change. And we see our sin, we grieve our sin, we confess our sin, we repent of our sin. And then another thing, just really practically, if we're going to rearrange the pantry, I've challenged many of you guys who are in Fight Club with me, have intentional times with your family at home where you really, really read the Word or talk about the Word or discuss the Word together. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Ours last three minutes, three nights a week with some questions at the end. We like to listen to uh, Solid Joys, John Piper, and then we'll have a, a little discussion at the end of it, try to think of ways to make it real personal. And that's the extent. But you know what? It's, it's an intentional rhythm to our life. And it's like the dieting cycle, to compare it back to losing weight. You know, you jump on a fad diet, you're off, on, off, on, off. It's just there's a consistent rhythm to your life. And, and habits are good things when you form good habits. Uh, we are very habit-driven people. We are. Think about your life, how habitual you are in a lot of your routines. Change your routine up. Make your routine be Christ-centered. And it takes time. But I promise you, things will change in your life. So to kind of sum this up, and I, oh, I forgot one, just thrusting yourself into the culture of the church. Thrusting yourself into the culture of other Jesus followers. I like to say people who are going to be intentionally intrusive into your life because just having fellowship is not enough. You need people who will be intentionally intrusive into your life, who are willing to say, hey, you know, that really wasn't the right attitude. And that what's our first reaction? Who are you to tell me? But we will let the Holy Spirit take that and the Holy Spirit uses that and uses the body of Christ to make us more like Christ. So to sum up this mind renewal, it isn't simply depositing new information into your mind. It's a new outlook on living-powered 
by living power, by the Holy Spirit, God's word, and through God's people. A new outlook. It's powered by the Holy Spirit, God's word, and God's people. So back to verse 2. Don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into this mold of the world. Don't allow yourself to become something you're not, Christians, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, just, just soaking in God, soaking in his word. And then what's it say? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. God's will. You know, I, I think we've overused that term so much that it's lost its real impact. And we think of it as this like mystical thing again, like I said. But it's, it's just God's way. It's living God's way. God's way. God's will is his way. What he wants us to do in our lives. How he wants us to live in our lives. And so I think Paul, I mean, to kind of put this paraphrase, trust God's will to be good. Test your confidence by doing God's will. And you will discover God's way is truly good, pleasing, and perfect. Trust God's will to be good. God, your will is good. Test your confidence by doing God's will, and you will discover God's way truly is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will ultimately isn't, do I go here or go there? God's will ultimately is his glory. His glory. And what does that mean? I know it's kind of a churchy word. His glory is his greatness. Who he is. And that goes back to our keyboard illustration at the beginning. The song that we're, we were created to sing. To know God. To reflect him. To make him known. To give him the worth that he deserves. To live our life for him. I think of verses like Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth. We wait eagerly for you, for your name and your renown, your glory. Your name and your renown are the desires of our heart. That God's glory, his memory that won't fade away, we tell him from one generation to the next. Also in Isaiah 43, 7, 6 and 7, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory. God says, I've created you for my glory. Jesus in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See your good works and point to God, not to you. Point to God and glorify God. God, you're great. You're worthy. And so this awe is this, this response to God for who he is. And, and learning God Knowing God takes rearrangement of our life because our default is us. Our default is maybe not overtly even us. It's just I got to do A, B, C, D, back home. And we forget why we're made, what our very purpose in life is, is God's glory. And I love what John Piper says that God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. God's most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So when I enjoy God, I know him, I enjoy him. No matter what comes my way in life, I trust him. I trust his promises. 
I hold on to those. And I find joy in God. God's glorified by that. You think God is glorified by Sunday morning only Christians? Does he get a lot of glory out of that? Does God get a lot of glory out of people who, you know, I'm just a drudgery. i got to go, I guess. It's the thing I'm supposed to do on Sunday. Or is, does he get glory out of somebody who just lives life mostly for themselves but claims they're a Christian? I'm a believer, but I'm not that, I'm not that good yet, so watch those other people over there at church. Don't look at me because I haven't gotten there. And, and we're, we almost use that as an excuse to live for us. And Jesus says, hey, if you've got the Holy Spirit, be a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the world's way of doing things. Don't adapt to your culture and just whatever crowd you're in, you just fit in and say the things that make you more acceptable. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed. Start a new way of living. Clean out the pantry. Dump that stuff. Fill it up with some other stuff. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. Your life will be able to live for his way, his purposes, his glory. And you'll find enjoyment in that because you're living for what he created you to do. is to sing a song for him, your life song. I want to live my life as a song to God. Is your life a song? Do people look at you and say, even through the tough time, it's still their life's a song because look at the loss they experience, but yet they're still saying, in my pain, I bring glory to you, God. I told somebody this Wednesday night over in Refuge before it started that so many of the times, and I've used this before, but it, this, this really hits home the way life works in this broken world. So much of our worship is often down here, here on our knees. It says, I don't have much to bring to you at the moment, God, but I'm bringing you everything that I have. And it's the best, because that's what worship is. It's bringing our best to God. And our best oftentimes is way down here. Sometimes it's up on the mountaintop, but oftentimes it's just through the pain and the struggles of life. We can still bring our best at that moment to him. Is that what you're doing? Is your life a song to God? We need one another. Next, next week we'll really rally around this idea toward the end of the chapter, just one another's. And how that I think in our culture we pretty much have turned in Christianity into an individualistic thing. And we're here to serve one another, to minister to one another, to use our gifts to encourage one another. Not to live in isolation. We need one another, the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, your truth, God. I pray that you will help us to quit being so fixated on knowing the details of life. And God, just live it like a song for you, to live for your glory, to, to go back to the original reason we were made and created in the first place, which is to enjoy you and to know you and glorify you. And God, I pray for those who are struggling right now with enjoying you because of the tragedies that's happened in their life and the, the difficulties in their marriage and the wayward children and the things that so oftentimes hijack their thoughts even when they try to pray to you and talk to you God I pray that your spirit will begin to guide them into truth that they'll saturate themselves in your word they'll rearrange their lives they'll allow just the, the rhythm of their life to be all about you and God I know your grace and your mercy will continue to meet them where they're at and we can find enjoyment even in the pain joy in the night 
we pray in Jesus' name.